morning. Good morning, brother. All right, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. I'm glad we can finally get a chance to, um, I get to ch chop it up with my brother Richard and we get to just talk about, you know, what's going on in the world and actually what's going on um, in the body of Christ as well. So one of the things that's really interesting is that lots of people are talking and lots of conversations are happening, but it's not that many spaces where we hear black men um, who are believers in Christ talking about it from that particular vantage point. There's a lot of us out there, but um, as part of the generative conversation about protest and about Black Lives Matter and about um, the movement of God right now, we just don't hear a lot of it. So I'm, I'm excited to get in this thing and, and, and get your feedback and see what you think about some of the things that's going on. Hey, that sounds good. Looking forward to it. Cool. So let's open up with a word of prayer and um, just jump in. Sure. Father God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this awakening of our hearts and our minds as we try to move closer to you and as a people try to move closer to one another. Father God, I thank you for Richard. I thank you for his leadership. And I thank you for this conversation, Father. Allow us in this conversation to draw closer to you. Allow us to speak truth. Allow us to um, parcel out and, and, and reveal not just what's going on during current events, but what that might mean for the people who need you the most, Father God. Help us to draw closer to thee. We pray all these things in your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So um, one of the things that I saw the other day is I was looking at um, Al Jazeera's website, and they had an infographic of all the protests that were happening across the country. And the thing that you notice, number one, is that, yes, there, are, there were protests in the past five days from every, in every state of the nation. Mm -hmm. right? And the numbers were continuing to grow. And they weren't just concentrated in like urban spaces in the, um, um, in the different states. Like it wasn't just the largest city, it was all over. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I found to be really notable is like in over 45% of the states that the National Guard was called out as well, right? Strong National Guard presence. Yeah. So this is a national movement. Oh, There's yeah. no going back. It's a real thing. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, it's an international movement. Mm -hmm. You know, it is crazy and awe-inspiring to see all the protests happening in London and Germany and Paris and the Netherlands and New Zealand. Who would have thought that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, all under the bottom, all under the you know umbrella of Black Lives Matter. So, man, what does it what's it what's it mean to have this historical moment, man? I mean, how does it fit with things that have happened in the past? You know, how does it compare? to the great civil rights movements that we've always talked about, like in the 19, in the 1960s. And, you know, even, even, even before that, maybe like in the, um, 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 at the turn of the century when we had like anti-lynching campaigns and things like that, you know, how does that um, um, compare? Like, what have you been seeing when you've been looking at the historical moment here? Well, I want to say up front, you know, the, Black people have always pursued justice, have always pursued freedom. And I would say that what we're seeing today is a continuance of that, right? But there is something different, right? So, I mean, it is, you know, it just feels different, it seems different, and I believe it is different. Because um, when you think about other movements that have happened, especially, um, you know, after, or during, really during slavery, after slavery, um, movements for integration, so rights movements. When you think about those movements, there have always been protests. There's always been that struggle. There's always been that fight. But this one is quite different because I believe that the world now can see very vivid, vividly what people have been saying for so many years. Right. And not only can they see it vividly, they can see it continuously, they can repeat it but they also can hear the words of others. They can see the responses in other situations. And I think people are now starting to make the connections because we have all this technology that has helped us to make these connections. What you would notice is that throughout history, when you see great change, yeah. when you see like the world is watching, um, 
is usually due to the images that have been uh, transmitted. Mm. So ships didn't fully come in the civil rights movement until images of children being sprayed with water hoses, dogs being released on children. Until those images were seen, there wasn't much, a lot of change. There was change, but drastic change didn't happen until America got, or the United States was embarrassed by their own actions. In other words, other people in other countries saw this and started raising questions about, you know, what, I thought that was the land of freedom. I thought that was the, you know, where hopes and dreams can be accomplished. And now what you're seeing is that is taking on, that, that is happening. But the difference come in because if you think about, feel free to jump in, you know, because <laughs> I could flow with this for a little while. <laughs> but the difference, the, another difference that's come in is that we have a president who was extremely negative towards black and brown people with comments, with reactions that people have noticed. On top of that, we've had over the last several months witness Ahmaud Arbery. Right, right. Death. And I think, I think that's the thing. I think that's the big thing because this isn't the first time we've had a president who hasn't been for black people. Oh, you're exactly right. <laughs> so, and it's not the first time we've had a president who was vocal about it. Of course, you know, with social media, that, um, that voice goes a lot further and stays a lot longer, yes. right? But, but we've had that kind of opposition from the top before. Oh, I think one of the big differences is, kind of tied to what you said before about it being a, um, um, you know, to kind of use Gil Scott Heron, you know, it's a, being a televised moment, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's one that can't be denied. I think one of the things that happened between the space of the civil rights movement and having every, all those uh, protests being broadcast on every station, which mm -hmm. made a lot of sense because everybody was able to see the atrocities and the space between when that happened and what's happening now is the steady decline of us all as a people, as a, as a country, being able to see the same images mm -hmm. at, at one particular time. Right. Yeah. You know? Because it's not as if any of this stuff is new. It's not as if, if police brutality is a new thing or violence against women or cops breaking into people's homes or illegal search and seizure or stop and frisk. None of these things are brand new. But, you know, we got this moment of coronavirus where everybody has to stay. That's it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. We've got this confluence of events where we have these strong video that everybody had an opportunity, opportunity to see. And I also think that, you know, um, to go back to the, um, um, to the Aubrey case, like we kind of saw this, not just confluence of events, but this escalation of racism, exactly. you know, between, you know, him being shot jogging by vigilantes to the Cooper incident in New York with the dog, right? Right, and showed that kind of weaponizing of whiteness, exactly. Right to the police brutality, and now there's there's it's hard to deny that there's something wrong, right? Exactly. So, you know, I I kind of said this before in other conversations, but I kind of feel like what we have here is like the perfect storm because you have all these pieces coming in at once. But as I thought about it more, you know, I thought about, well, when you think about other social movements, there was a number of factors that were engaged at one, you know, all at once, as you mentioned. For example, there wasn't really a time where, when these movements were happening in the past, where there was leadership that said, yes, you know, I'm out there with them, you know, or didn't have negative views of um, Black people during that time. So I think what you see here is the hyper visibility of it. Yeah. Such a factor. Yeah. And some people say, you know, young people, and I agree. I think the young people are like, hey, you know, we want change. And this is young people, not just black young people, white young people and all over, you know. So that's that's true. But if you look at all the different movements, many of the different movements in the past, you would notice that a number of the different movements were um who were in the forefront were young people. Absolutely. And that's what the, I feel like that's one of the, that's a, that's a strike against the way we've allowed black history to be taught. Right. Like the thing that we always, the thing that always gets pushed forward is those images of all those preachers with suits on. Right. Walking and marching. And we think a lot of times that 
that was the the not just the tone and tenor of the of the movement, but the character of the people who stood up. And although that was a very important part, it it lends too easily to um, um, just those religious leaders of those time of the time being the um, um, being the leaders of the movement and them being a monolithic group. It lends mm -hmm. too easily to the idea of charismatic leadership being the one to author the vision and being able to carry it forward, you know? True. True. And some of those, you know, some of those uh, uh, heart-wrenching moments that we get from the 1960s were kids. Mm -hmm. Like that image of, I believe it was Bloody Sunday with the guy getting bit by a dog in his, in his yes. stomach. That, that was a kid, he was 17 years old. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, you you are exactly right. I mean, those are the images that really transform the movements. Yeah, you know, young people have been out, but even with the leadership, who were the leaders? We forget that Martin. Luther, sometimes we forget that Martin Luther King started when he was in his twenties. Right. Right? right. You know what I mean? He died when he was uh, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Mm -hmm. um, when he was assassinated, I should say, when he was thirty-eight, thirty-nine years old. Um, you know, uh, Malcolm X. You know, another kind of famous face that we see again. He was extremely young when we saw him out in the original, in the beginning of these movements. Right. So even a number of those leaders, sometimes we look at them in their latter stages and kind of see them as older uh, because we, they're so historic to us. Right? Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see how many young people have, or how often young people have been in the forefront of these movements. Mm -hmm. um, and also, on the flip side, how often young people have been the uh, receivers of violence. Um, when we think about all of the killings that have occurred and all the police brutality that has occurred, um, it has occurred with older women and men, but also a lot. You know, I just looked at earlier today um, the number of children who were unarmed. I mean, you know, they were innocent, they were playing. They were sleeping, mm -hmm. they were you know, walking, and how they were shot and killed by a police officer because they fit a description. You know, just to see how many children and young people have been um, impacted by the violence as well, it's just overwhelming. So, yeah. uh, one of the things that I can't, that's, it's hard for me to fathom is when they put up the pictures of all the people that have been affected by violence and yeah you're right it's it skews it skews really really young yeah. right yeah, so and it really dispels the myth that you know this problem is an old problem is a, is an old race problem it's not just the remnants of old school racism that's that's rearing its head today it's a continuous it's a continuous issue that you know really um um hurts and destroys an entire generation every single time. Mm -hmm. Every single time it comes up. Exactly, I agree. The one other thing I wanna say about this is that even in this moment, what makes it different is that we've always seen images. We've always, and when I say always, I mean during our generation, we've always seen images, we've seen um, reports, we've known about this. But I mean, to actually see an eight minute, eight minute, 46 second death um, someone's life slipping away with that person pleading for their lives, with people around them pleading for that person's lives, with medical personnel pleading um, to be able to help this person and to see the callousness. And I think that is different where people have not been able to see the callous actions of police officers. Oftentimes there's justification, well, we don't know what happened before the story or, you know, we don't know all that, all the pieces to this. But in this instance, there were so many camera angles, there were so many different reports. Um, and then we saw the police report where they said, yeah, he, you know, he was resisting arrest. And, you know, he all of a sudden had a medical emergency. I mean, we see even the lies that were written. So all of this, people are able to see in real time. I think we have to, you know, say, yes, that, that does um, make this somewhat different from what has happened before, where people didn't necessarily see things happen in real time. Here we have kind of all the answers and it's all surrounding the report of a possible uh, fraudulent act. Here's the thing. I think, there's, I think there's something really important to that point. 
and to go even further, like we've seen some of those angles before. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna tell you a couple of things that were really unique for me. Number yeah. one, it was kind of the close up of evil. When you get mm -hmm. on that police officer's face and see him just not care. Yeah. It's like a personification of evil in that moment because at the same time you have the pleas of people saying that's too much stop don't do this along with the pre pleas of mr floyd as well and to have that just face of you know just recalcitrant um power that just says no no mercy and no justice, that was stark. To just have that, those pleas of the people and just to have that almost personification of evil just in that moment, that's what really, really turned the tables on this thing. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't deny it. You can't deny it, deny its presence. Nice. So I think that is, I think that is something different in the moment. Yeah. But I also think these, these, these kids are cut different too. Mm -hmm because they felt, I feel like this generation feels really comfortable letting their voices be heard. Mm -hmm. And also they feel really comfortable calling out something that goes against their value system. Mm -hmm. you know? Good point. And I feel like our generation, you know, you know Generation X, mm -hmm. you know, not Generation Y, we kind of have a stumbling block when it comes to that. Yeah. You know? just a stumbling block when it comes to us being able to call out injustice consistently you know without having the running commentary in our minds about well should i do this should i not do this yeah and, and so their 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 bravery and courageousness i'm not saying that is different than in protests in the past but it's but it's stark and i think that it's one of the things that's carried through um, all of these protests across the nation that's one thing that's not localized. Yeah. You know, one thing we talk about a lot of times is the decentralization of decentralization of culture that social media has helped to provide. Mm -hmm. And I really think that um, because there's no centralized voice to stamp out, you know, black people's voices are being heard almost as like the echoes off the wall now that are gaining more volume as opposed to just those singular voices that are easy to counteract and easy to try to stamp out, easy to counter argue against. Yeah, 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 totally agree, totally agree. You know, it's interesting, I was thinking about how in other situations we've dealt with during our time, um, you know, with Trayvon Martin, response to Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, um, Sandra Bland, I mean, all these different things that has happened. The reaction from a lot of people now has been quite different. And due to all the things we've talked about, um, I've never received so many calls. I've never received so many emails and messages about how we can make the changes. How can I change? Really, um, white people calling me saying, how can I make a difference? How can I learn more? How can I deal with my own complicity? I mean, I've never have had that in, you know, working in academia, um, even when all the, all the other horrible traumatic um, deaths occurred, police brutality, the weaponizing of police occurred. Um, now I'm, I'm seeing people, you know, a lot of people that are like, you know, we need to change. Yeah. And there's, you know, several things we could say to that. It could be, you know, people caught up in this moment um what will happen in a few months it could be um you know it could be sincere you know we can't i definitely can't judge people's hearts with this um but i've, I've just never seen it which is very interesting to me we've seen you know people that might do something some things we see some change throughout history obviously but to hear so many people that are focused on this um really is, is it is encouraging i would say it's encouraging to, for for in some ways in yeah, some ways, ways in some ways right. I, yeah, I agree like, right. it's, it's it's you go we go we go to the protests and you know 
been out quite often and been out often in the past for different for different things too, right? And it's always been, you know, African-Americans leading the charge yeah. with a smattering of, you know, white allies that were there. And you're right, the tables are turned. Every protest that I've been to, the majority have been white. Which also asks, which, which makes me ask the question, um, um, how long are you gonna be here for? Right. Because my expectation is that the, you can't deny how historical the moment is and people have an inclination not to be, want to be on the wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. And the easy part of the work is going to a march. Yeah, right? exactly. So as much as I appreciate people going and holding signs and saying Black Lives Matter and much as I admire people who are willing to put their physical bodies on the line for a principle that me and my children matter. I also want those same people that when they go to the office the next, the next day to be able to have, you know, real honest conversations with their black coworkers Mm -hmm. and be able to tell them that your life matters or better yet, just be able to listen. Yeah. Just be able to listen to the concerns of the people who have been most unheard. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I think they, in some ways, should be held accountable. I mean, you know, I agree. It's not enough to just go out in this moment. Um, because to, some people are going out for photo ops. Um, you know, statements are being made because it's, it's just the thing now. Yeah. Um, but what is happening behind the scenes? What, what changes are being made? What systemic changes? Um, are we addressing right now? So I totally agree with you on those points. Yeah, all of us are being called to do more work. Yeah. And, you know, for white people out there, if, you, if, you're, if you're out there marching, you've said black, black Lives Matter, then black folks are going to hold you accountable to that. Yeah. Because one of the most important thing is, you know, nothing is going to, nothing's going to change with the photo op, nothing's going to change with you putting up stuff on your social media feed. Um, and that's one of the issues that I have with, um, all the images that have come out about, you know, cops kneeling and, you know, um, having show, shows of affection and hugs and daps with protesters. I, you know, I want, I want people to get along and that's all great and fine and dandy. But the issue that I have with those particular images is that it humanizes the structural issue that a lot of protesters are trying to argue against, which is the system of policing is an issue, right. which is the system of education is an issue, which is the system of government is an issue because it is racist and discriminatory to black people. And then when you take a photo op and you take a moment of a cop basically stepping down out of his authority to give you a dap or to give you a hug, what that does is it takes that moment and humanizes the police officer who rec- who uh, represents the system and doesn't do anything to humanize the protester who's already been dehumanized. I don't need you to give me a hug. Yeah. What I need you to do is police, not even police, what I need you to do is guard, protect and serve my freedoms the same way you would protect and serve somebody who looks like you. Mm-hmm. What I need you to do is to make sure you would treat my child in the street the same way you would treat yours. Yeah. You know, what I need you to do is listen to me the same way that you would listen to that person who has a seven figure income, who's at the fundraiser. Like that's what I need from Mm -hmm. people in authority. I don't need the show of affection. Mm -hmm. What I need is an accurate use and an equitable use of Mm -hmm. power and authority. Yeah. And I don't want that to get lost in the in in the equation. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. I mean, it individualizes the problem. And what I mean is, um, so people will just say, well, we have to look at the officers as individuals. So the police officer that was the primary reason for the death of George Floyd. Um, look at him as an individual. It's not a system. It's not a problem with the system. It's a problem with that individual. He was bad. He was wicked. And yes, we can say that, but he's part of a systemic problem. I mean, in our culture, in our country, we deal with systemic racism. And it, doesn't, it really doesn't matter who the person is in the, in the uniform. 
the problem is with the system of policing itself. Yeah. yeah. The nature of policing itself. The history of racism within not just policing, but the whole criminal justice system. Right. So when we focus on the individual and these individual acts, mm -hmm. right, it humanizes the individual, help us to kind of separate well, there's good and bad. And, and yes, there's good and bad individuals, but it, we miss the, the focus on the systemic problems that we have with policing in the United States of America. Yeah. And that is what needs to be addressed. I totally agree with that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a scriptural principle, too. Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we're, we're as, 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 you know, we have an issue in this country with actually focusing on systemic issues. But as Christians, you know, we're taught what is uh, Ephesians 6, 12, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and, you know, rulers of this world you know, powers, those things in the, in the, in the heavenly room, you know, there is, there is evil in the world, mm -hmm. There's a spiritual sense of evil in the world, but there are also principalities. There are institutions, institutions yeah. that are in the world that do not serve God's purpose, that seek to separate, that seek to destroy. And we're supposed to actively work against it. There are rulers of the land who actively work against the people that actually work against the things in the operation of God. And oppressing people works against the operations of God and what we've been taught with Jesus Christ. So, you know, I think, you know, part of, um, I think part of our Christian duty in this, I want to get your feedback. Um, part of our Christian duty is to pay attention to yeah. the way systems work and how systems oppress, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things, um, 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 there was an article from um, NPR a couple of days ago. And one of the article, the article talked about how um, some evangelical Christians were kind of wrestling in this moment, you know, wrestling with how to respond, wrestling with um, um, how they should talk to um, um, black congregants. And of course, this isn't necessarily, this isn't um, um, evangelicals necessarily in the, in the, in a black church. It's kind of look, take a look at, you know, the larger Christian movement in the United States. So given where we are in this moment and, and, and as a, as a, as a pastor yourself, how do you, how do you see our, our, our um, Christian duty and some of the wrestling that we've been going through as a, as a Christian com community in this moment? Yeah, I think one thing we have to recognize is a lot of us, as Christians have been tainted by the very culture that we live in. Um, we've been tainted by the society that we live in um, and the culture we're a part of. And, and what I mean by that is um, you know, we are a very politically divided country. And as a result, a lot of what influences our beliefs, our ideas, and even our views and tr even translation of of the bible is based off political beliefs so what you'll notice for example in a number of white conservative churches um, a lot of things that are spoken of and a lot of reactions are based out of a conservative political um political worldview mm -hmm. um, so so it's hard it's it's, it's difficult for um, pastors like that to really speak to these injustices that are occurring because from a very extreme uh, conservative worldview or even not even extreme from a conservative worldview to look at systemic problems and to talk about justice um, we have been taught uh, or shown or you could say um, influenced socialized to believe that that's speaking like liberals or yeah. that's you know speaking like those on the left when it really isn't, it's very biblical, especially when we look at how often God talks about justice, how he tells us, you know, how we should be just and love mercy, you know, and, and walk humbly before the Lord in, in the book of Micah. You know, when we see Jesus talks about, you know, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then the examples of Jesus, you know, feeding, you know, thousands and, and talking about the poor and looking out for the poor and touching those who are outcasts in the community. I mean, we see a, a, a man, a savior who 
um, really loves justice, just society, just like the father. Right. Focus on justice. And I think we miss that sometimes in the church because um, especially amongst my more conservative white brothers and sisters, but also conservative, some conservative black, black folks as well. We miss that point because we're so focused on specific moral issues or we're so focused on kind of our political view than a biblical view. And, and I think in this moment, if we are really going to deal with what's happening, we really need to take a biblical view of this. Because when we look at this biblically and through the, the, the world, through the biblical lens, see the world through a biblical lens, what we'll notice is that we have a God who loves justice. And not only that, the type of justice that he loves, um, which is talk about more in the Bible than any other forms of justice, such as uh, uh, retributive and um, kind of this revenge type of justice is that of restorative justice, yeah. that of repairing what was taken, what was stolen, what was lost, repairing, bringing it back and, and making sure that one is whole again. That's the type of justice God talks about most often. And I think that's the type of justice we miss talking about in the church. And until we understand that, I think we as the church are going to be limited in our response. And it's going to be the same thing that has happened for years with almost every other racial movement where the conservative evangelical church was always on the wrong side of history. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I agree. And I also think that um, repentance is necessary mm -hmm. because we can't get to the place that you're describing, this place of restorative justice, if, you know, if, you know, white Christians, evangelical, especially evangelical white Christians, don't recognize the fact that for a long time, the church hides behind the Bible in order to carry out their oppression. Yeah. Black yeah. people. Yes. You know, how many people don't see anything wrong with, you know, the president of the United States holding a Bible in his hand while people in the streets are getting tear gashed and pushed back by police? Mm. You know, when you when you use the Bible as a weapon of 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 oppression, of authority, of racism, there's no there's no there's no redeemable quality in that, mm -hmm. right? And so, I think that you know a lot of a lot of a lot of white Christians are defensive right now, you know, because they feel like a part of their of their of their um, of their tradition of their history. Is being is being is being affected, you know. Is being is being criticized as well as as well as it should, because those things and this this happens in the individual life of a Christian, but also as all of us collectively, we got to be pruned in order to get to the place where where God wants us. And I think acknowledging that you know, using the Bible as a means of oppression is a very real thing. An inaccurate use of the Bible, an inaccurate view of the Bible, and so what do we do with that piece? I mean, how do we how do we go? You know, is it our job? Is it our job as you know Black Christians to go to them and tell them to raise the concerns? Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think it is. I think it is. Well, I think we have a great example in the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who did that, did just that. I mean, if you think about his letter. From Birmingham jail. That's what he was doing and basically saying to um, Christians, uh, pastors, leaders who told him that he should wait and told him that he's basically being disruptive. He basically told them how they should respond. You know, he was, he was, not only was he a leader of the civil rights movement as we know him, but he was also a, a biblical teacher. I mean, he taught love and, you know, tried to show them the response that they should have as well. I agree with you. I think that is something that we as Christians, we as Black Christians, we need to recognize. We can't just stand uh, on the side and say, well, they need to learn for themselves. No, we need to <laughs> proclaim what the word says, even to them, and let them know this is a part of what is God's plan for all of us to make sure that we restore that which is broken. I agree. I, I agree with you where it needs to start with repentance. It has to be a, a place of repentance. Um, 
you know, and when we talk about repentance, um, there's, there's several parts to it. There's, you know, one, the, you know, recognizing what has happened and the faults and the sins of the past and even currently, but also it's a turning away, right? It's a turning away from those things that have continued to be oppressive, continue to be sinful, continue to maintain the system, system, systemic nature of racism in our society today. It yeah. starts, I agree, it starts with repentance. And once that has occurred, then we can get to reconciliation. Then we can get to restoration. And I guess to uh, finish the alliteration, we can get to this restorative justice that we we were talking about as well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I'm totally with you. And, I, and you know, this isn't, this also, real talk, this isn't to let black people off the hook either. Oh, not at all. There's been too many, you know, one of the striking things about um, the letter to Birmingham jail was that, you know, King wasn't just white, writing to white preachers that were mm-hmm. seeped in their racism. He was also talking to, you know, black conservative preachers who, you know, also looked at him as a rabble rouser. Mm-hmm. And so we got to understand that, um, you know, racism affects all of us. We've all been seeped in the power structure of American racism, you know, both black and white. And it pains me to even recognize in myself how I've internalized, you know, racist ideology in myself. And so, you know, part of my process is seeing, yo, I don't have to accept this. This is not okay. And so I think that sometimes us as, you know, as, um, African-American Christians, oftentimes we become complacent. We don't push the banner of Christ in terms of what he does for people because we stop to love ourselves with a false idea that by doing that, we can somehow show God's love to other people. Like we won't take a lot of the messages of of Christ in terms of standing up for our own justice because we believe that um, if these people who worship Christ are doing this thing, then I shouldn't say anything about it because in time, everything will work out. But you know, God told us to use his word. He calls us to witness. He calls us to encourage. He calls us to admonish, you know? Like, Like it says, you know, iron is supposed to sharpen iron. Yes. And I feel like in some in some spaces, a, a lot of us who have the who have the banner of Christ, we are afraid to challenge. We are afraid to stand on the word and challenge our brothers and sisters to stand with us. Yeah. Um, I believe we need those prophetic voices. Like, uh, um, I remember reading uh, Cornell West's book a while ago, um, where he talked about uh, the, the loss of the prophetic, prophetic voice or prophetic fire, he actually called it, um, and how that's missing, where, you know, or at least it's lacking. You know, there's still prophetic voices out here, of course, but that is lacking. Those who are willing to stand up and just preach about justice, those who are willing to stand up and call these things wrong. Um, I think what we have now is, unfortunately, even in the in the predominantly black church and black churches, I think what we have are leadership um, leaders who are really focused on their own space and what's happening in their own thing. In other words, they're more concerned about maintaining what they have mm-hmm. instead of dealing with what the problems that are going out going on outside of what's what's what they have. Um, they're concerned about their bottom line. They're concerned about their finances and income. They're concerned about how many people are following them now, following them on Twitter and you know, Facebook and Instagram. They're more concerned about their name being out there. And they know if they talk about justice and they talk about dealing with the issues that we need to deal with that's going on in society, that they will lose some of those folks. And they may not be uh, able to maintain the bottom line that they have. Uh, and that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because we come out of a people, we come out of, um, well, at the same time, preachers, there were those before that, as you mentioned, that King addressed that were not in the fight with him. But 
we still come out of a tradition of resistance. We come out of a tradition of people who use their voices um, and who uh, were not concerned about what would happen to them because they knew that what they were doing was right. And I think that's, that's missing in a lot of those churches and spaces where people are unwilling to talk about, at least talk about, yeah. let alone actually, you know, moving towards action. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I think that's, that's totally missing. And until we get there, even in our churches, um, we're, we're still going to have struggle. Yeah. I feel like part of that symptomatic of like um, us being a part of American consumerism, right? I oh, mean, yeah. we are taught from the, we're taught from the, from the, you know, as soon as we're able to understand that we're supposed to go out here and get that bag. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. in just about every aspect of our, of our lives, we are consumers. We are taught to consume more and get more, um, to consume and it hits every every area right, right. but I, I also think that when it comes to the prophetic when it comes to the prophetic voice it calls for a certain level of it calls for a certain level of bravery mm -hmm. where you where you are comfortable um, not having right and so there's a certain humility that Christ had that American Christians just don't because it's hard for us to see a Christianity without stuff. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to us to have that kind of material humility in a sense. And I think that's one of the things that hampers us so much in being a prophetic voice of just plain justice because um, it's hard. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be John the Baptist. Mm. <laughs> right you know being out there you know you know wild locusts and honey and what mm -hmm. you know just letting just stand out there and letting the letting the people know and being resolved enough and trusting god enough to be able to stand out there in faith and you know not have the job you know and mm -hmm. not have the accolades and be able to take the criticism. But what's encouraging is that, yo, this generation got that. I think there's a seed growing in this generation because everything I just described, that's what Colin Kaepernick did. Yes, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Being able to stand out there when nobody else would stand mm -hmm. and being able to say it and take the hits. Yeah. Right? right. So I feel like um, that, 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 um, that prophetic voice is beginning to, to grow and get that stage. And I think we're going to have more individuals that, you know, will be able to stand in courage and in faith mm -hmm. and, and speak and speak truth to these kinds of things. You know, I totally agree. And it amazes me that the prophetic voice is not coming from the places that we think they should. Right. So, <laughs> Think about Colin Kaepernick. I mean, before his protest, I would have never thought that he would, you know, be willing to give up, um, let alone other football players, other sports figures, to be willing to give up their their positions, to be willing to give up something that they worked years to achieve. Um, yeah. That that's a dream for many to be willing to give it up because they're saying my people are hurting, yeah. and I'm going to use this platform that has been given to me. Um, to make sure that others know this isn't right. I'm just like, wow, you know, God is using, he'll use anyone, anywhere, at any time to do what he needs them to do. And what oh, isn't that, yeah, ain't that just like the way of God? You know, we looking over here for the leaders to come up and they come up right underneath our feet. You know, can you think about, think about four years ago and um, think about how so many people were writing about the millennial generation as almost, not as a lost cause, but a generation that was very self-involved, right? They can't get off their phones. They can't stay off the internet. All they do is put false versions of themselves up on the screen. Like, that's what the narrative was of just a few years ago. Oh, wow. And look how the, and look how the tables have turned. Look how different it is now. And they're using those same technologies that we faulted them for. Um, they're using them in order to really make the movement even larger. Yeah, it possibly would have been with all these technologies, you know, so the things that we faulted them for and criticized them for, they just turned it around and used it for benefit for good. So it's just, 
I agree. That is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, one of the things I was going to ask you about is, um, um, a lot of times people, a lot of times people are, uh, um, people are encountering conversations around, around race that they might not have encountered before. And we talked about some defense um, mechanisms that some people, that some people have. Like um, one response that a lot, of, a lot of Christians will come back to, as well as you know, just a lot of white people in general is the all lives matter piece, mm. right? Um, as a response to, to um, Black Lives Matter, except they throw the Christian spin on it, right? Which mm-hmm. is, well, you know, God loves everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So, you know, have you encountered that kind of conversation that um, moves the, and it could be intentional or unintentional, but that moves the conversation away from the issues of, of Black suffering and Black agency, and that kind of turns it into um, um, an acknowledgement of how well, the entire world is, um, is loved or the entire world is struggling or why just focus on this? Like in your spaces, have you encountered that? And, and how have you, what effective, effective ways have you seen to counteract that? Oh yeah, several different levels. I mean, right. So watch. We should talk about all lives matter because God loves all, right? Um, and it sounds very good and and very biblical. And, and ultimately, it is true. Love, you know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So yes, we get that. Um, but as you mentioned, it takes away from the problems that are happening within and towards the Black community. Um, I've even received um, booklets that have been written that tried to sound extremely biblical and tried to even sound intellectual. Um, uh, the way they articulated kind of some of the issues that we're dealing with. So, for example, there's a booklet that is critiquing critical theory uh, and is critiquing this engaging social justice. Um, Critical and, race theory, right? Say it again. Critical race theory, right? Well, that's the problem. Not really. They talk about critical theory and then they conflate. Ah. Okay. You know everything, and so that was one of the problems. Is that well, you cannot you know talk about critical race theory and talk about um, critical feminist theory or cr- uh, critical critical sexuality theory and conflate them, mm. uh, and that's what they were doing. Um, to try to make an argument about how unchristian it is to speak about um, oppression, mm. speak about injustice, to speak about um, reform as well as restoration and repairing, to speak about these issues, how it's unbiblical because ultimately what we're doing is we're taking the world's words and um, the way that the or I should say the theorist words and the way that they form groups. And we're trying to say, that's how we should look at everyone. Yeah. That's a dangerous line of thinking, man. Extremely. And you know, when you, when I read that, it reminded me really of things that had been written um, by Christians to oppose abolition, (laughs) to oppose integration, to oppose the civil rights movement, to oppose the presidency of Barack Obama. I mean, to, oppose kind of these different movements that we've seen that kind of look like that we're moving in that right direction. They use scripture, they use specific translations. So that's continuing today. Um, so All Lives Matter is just another iteration of that. Um, and it's a way to move us to shift the focus off of the work that needs to be done, the justice that needs to be taking place. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen that. that I've seen that in, in many different forms, even um, recently as yesterday, things were sent to me. I was just like, are you, are you serious? But it's really a way to change the focus on what needs to happen. It's a way to make Christians and really confuse us as Christians about the response we should have. Yeah. So when you talk about critical theory, you know, a lot of Christians, unless they are in academia, haven't heard of critical theory before. No. You know? 
they, they haven't heard of you know, critical race theory. So when you frame it and say, oh, yes, it's critical theory that created these categories of oppress, oppressor and you know, the oppressed, um, it's critical theory that created the words that we use. I'm like, no, these are the things that are happening and critical theory is just a lens in order to talk about and see these things and to be able to critique um, what's happening in the world that has been constructed um, prior to even the idea of critical theory, prior to where, we, where we're at today. It, so, it, it, creates, but, yeah, it creates that framework of, hey, all this other social stuff that's outside of the Bible, so don't even focus on that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I was seeing, I saw, I read something the other day that talked about a similar kind of schism, like this, this idea that there's um, biblical doctrine, but then there's also something that they were framing as a social doctrine. That's right. supposed to be something entirely, entirely separate, as if Jesus's entire ministry wasn't social. Exactly, exactly. It's framed in opposite, as you mentioned, framed in opposition. So what people will get from that, how they'll get confused is that they'll see that, that, that uh, comparison, that juxtaposition, and they see that narrative and they're like, oh my goodness, I have to pick the mm -hmm. biblical one or the one that's be, being presented as the biblical one, even though, as you mentioned, you know, it, it shouldn't be separate. It's not separate. No. But unfortunately, for, for some people, they have worked towards separating the social justice aspects, separating how we should um, focus on what is happening to the poor, separating those out and trying to make that into a worldly doctrine, even though we see it clearly in the Bible. Yeah, Jesus heals the, heals the sick, mm -hmm. he gives sight to the blind, he yeah. preaches to all the people, he hangs out to the ones that are considered the least of these, mm -hmm. whether it be prostitutes, tax collectors, whoever. He turns over tables and institutions. Exactly. With whips in his hands. You know, Jesus was a revolutionary. Yes, he was. Yes, you know, he was. Jesus, Jesus was a radical. Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus was for the people. Yes, all of us, but specifically the ones that were suffering. Exactly. And I, one of the things that happens with the All Lives Matter piece is people, um, people generally have a desire for the good. And that's why settling on All Lives Matters feels all good. But it's context. Because it's not like All Lives Matter is the first statement in the conversation. It's always the response. Right. Somebody says Black Lives Matter. I need you to focus on this particular group of people who have these particular kinds of concerns and who have been devalued and dehumanized. And instead of saying, yes, Black Lives Matter, then the response is, well, all people matter. Mm -hmm. right. right. So it's not, the, it's not the statement in and of itself. It's the fact that it's placed in this context as an inappropriate response to somebody's suffering. Mm, yes. And I think we need to be a better job of calling people out on just that word there. You know, because one thing Jesus did is he focused on the people who were suffering. Yes. Right. And yeah. uh, one of the things that I've been seeing in um, online and in spaces is people um, raise up uh, um, the parable of the lost sheep, you know, Luke 15, yeah. as a response to the All Lives Matter piece yeah all the sheep of important but there was one sheep that was caught out there and that was in danger and and the shepherd left them all to go take care of the one mm -hmm. and i and i and i find that i find that to be i find that to be um um useful yeah yeah it is i mean and you know you you'll see that continuously that that that's the heart of god is to you know, reach out to those who are hurting. I mean, even think about how we, you know, how we interact with God, those of us who are Christians, Christ followers, how we interact. We reach out to him when, when we're hurting because we know that God is a just God and we know that he's the only one that can change things. But at the same time, when we read about our God, what we'll notice is that he is a God that, looks out for those who are hurting, those who are suffering. They, um, you know, the children, you know, 
the least of these. Yeah. Um, Jesus said, you know, don't don't push away the children. Let them come to me. Right. Right. So so when we say all lives matter, is is really saying it's really dismissing um, a whole group of people their concerns, mm-hmm. the the problems that are occurring. Um, and, and I appreciate you know the the example of the lost sheep. I've seen some some people use natural examples as well such as, you know, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and someone saying, you know, all cancer matters, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, save the whale, all (laughs) sea animals, you know, all the the creatures of the sea matter. I mean, we obviously, we don't do that. But my leg is hurt. (laughs) Your whole body matters. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it is so problematic. It's so dismissive. And it really doesn't show the, the love and heart of God um, when we respond to, to these cries. I mean, if you think about it, Black Lives Matter is really a cry, you know, trying to say, listen, our society, um, the history of our society, what's going on currently is showing us that Black lives don't matter. Yeah. And we want you to know that, you know, our lives do matter. Yeah. So just saying all lives, oh yeah, yeah, whatever, all lives matter, it dismisses all of that. Um, and it's heartbreaking, you yeah. know, especially when Christians do that. And when Christians build narratives, those who should know better and should be leading, really you're leading the response, the right response. Um, when Christians are dismissive um, and, and just make those types of statements, that is heartbreaking and troubling. Mm. Yeah. And I hear you. I know yeah. we said we we're gonna do like an hour, but yeah. you know, this conversation just can just keep going on. But what I want to do now is um um like just think about given our conversation so far, like who can we pray for? Who can we pray for? You know, we get in this space and you know, one of the things um the Bible always says, you know, where two or more are gathered in my name. Yes. You know, I'm hearing all of that. So one of the benefits of, you know, regardless to where we are in the country, we can come into this space and we can, you know, intercede for the people in, in, in need and the people that have been placed in our hearts. So, you know, who can we pray for right now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, generally our country, right? But definitely uh, pastors and leaders. Yeah. Um, we can pray for those who want to do something, uh, but don't know what to do. Um, pray for those in our, in our community, black community that are struggling with what's going on right now. And, and those, and when I said those who w- want to do something, but don't know what to do, there's, there are people in white community, brothers and sisters who are, you know, sincere yeah. and want to be the change that needs to happen in this earth. And they recognize that this is God's plan for them to, you know, fight for change, to move for change, to foster change in their own lives. So even praying for them as well. Um, And then also the scripture tells us that we should pray for our leadership. So I do think we should pray for the leadership here. Um, And not necessarily that we like everything that's happening, but pray that there will be a change of focus, a, a heart. Yeah. Um, pray for empathy. Um, pray for surrender. Pray for repentance. Those types of things. You know, when we talk about our leadership, who do you think? Who else do you think? Um, one of the things that really struck a chord with me was just you know praying for um, praying for a generation of of truth tellers and um and and these 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 prop this prophetic voice mm-hmm. like praying that this prophetic voice will um not just arise but will stand and that we who call ourselves the body of christ encircle those voices and gird them up in prayer protect them support them you know i can't um so i gotta tell this story so the very first day that I went out for um, a large protest in Philly started off peaceful and then you could feel the turn. So it started moving towards um, people getting agitated, people starting to be um, uh, a little bit more demonstrative. That thing started happening and um, the crowd was dispersing and starting to do different things, right? I'm walking down the street 
And I see a guy on the corner that is preaching hate. He has a sign talking about who God hates. And he's arguing with a young man who is there with either his girlfriend or his wife. And the young man is hurt. Young man is hurt, you know, and it's a white guy and I'm familiar with him before because he came to my job preaching the same kind of hate. Mm. And I go up because I was familiar with the guy. I go up to the young man, young, young black man and his wife. And I say, yo, don't even give him the time of day. You know, he does this all the time. He does this to try to provoke a reaction out of people, try and um, um, provoke them into reacting. Right. Mm -hmm. And I can see in his face, the black man that I'm talking to, I can see in his face, he just starts to kind of calm a little bit. And then the guy, the, the um, hate monger starts talking again and he ramps back up. And then I realize in that moment, what I need to do is pray. I need to pray out loud, you know, against the false witness of the guy who I know preaches hate. And the only reason that he's there in the moment is to sow discord. That's the mm -hmm. only reason that he's there is to sow discord. So I need to speak to his evil, which is, yo, we see what you're doing. This is not of God. And I need to pray for the young man. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, what I realized is, yo, old heads like us, we might not be out there with the bullhorn and we might not be out there, you know, as the as the prophet but one thing we need to do is we need to come alongside these young people and we need to be there in the midst if only to pray for their success and to shield them from the from the spiritual warfare that's going out there wow. so in addition to in addition to you know praying for the rise of um, um of, a, of a new generation we also need to you know pray to gird ourselves up you know, in the full armor of Christ so that we can go out there and, and protect these young warriors too. Because it's not right for us to say that we're going to send them out into a battle that we're not willing mm -hmm. to fight. And even if we're not able, God has enabled us with his spirit so that we can come on one accord. Oh, yes. Freedom comes with a price. Mm -hmm. And we know that. Oh, yes. We got to be willing to do our part too. So I want to pray for you know, the rise of that prophetic voice that you talked about, but also that we as a body can come alongside that prophetic voice, be brave in and of ourselves, lean on Jesus, and be able to, you know, encircle them with support and courage as well. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Wow. Powerful, man. Yeah, yeah. So can you close us out in prayer, my man? Sure, I was going to ask this, if, the, if that's what you wanted me to do. So yeah, no cool. let's pray. All right. All right. Uh, you are just amazing. And we thank you that in this moment of trial, in this moment of great difficulty, heartache, um, in this moment of protest, Lord, that we know that you are still God. You are still there. Yeah. And that we can call on you. We can lean on you. We can um, look to you for guidance. And we can come to your throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So, Lord, right now, we are mindful of those who are out in the struggle. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen them right now. Lord, we ask that those who you have fully equipped with, with the voices that are necessary in this moment, Lord, that their fire will not be extinguished. Yeah. That you will continue to strengthen them as they continue the work that you have given them, Lord, that the prophetic voice will rise once again, Lord, and that people will know exactly what it means to be followers of you, to, to love justice or seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before you, Lord. And we ask right now, Lord, that you would just encourage those who need encouragement right now. They may not have seen much change or not the change that they want to see, Lord, but we pray that you encourage them and help us, those who are older, those who um, should have done a better job preparing the younger folks for days like this, Lord, help us to come alongside and to, to encourage them, to be support, to strengthen them in these moments, Lord, to be there as people that they can lean on and, and 
that they can fall back on, Lord, and to see that we are there with them, even though they may be out in the forefront, Lord, help us to uh, just be in the midst and not to stand away, not to stand on the side, but recognize this is a good work that you have called us to do. So Lord, we're mindful, Lord, that uh, your word doesn't return unto you void. So help us to continue to proclaim your word in the midst of all that is happening, regardless of the reactions that we are receiving, Lord, help us to lift up uh, a banner. Help us to recognize that um, in the midst of it all, Lord, that yes, as we can work for change and that we can make changes in and of ourselves, Lord, that true change come through you. Yeah, yeah. And following what you have given us to do. So, Lord, help us to always recognize that. We're mindful of those um, who are uh, white Christians, Lord, white, white Christians that um, are also a part of this change, a part of this movement. And we ask that you would encourage them. And, Lord, that um, as they get into their families, and into their different congregations, that you would strengthen them to to also have that prophetic voice where they can speak out to those that they know yeah. uh, about justice, Lord, and not to fall back at the reactions that they may receive, Lord. Allow the church to be the church in this moment. Help us, rather, to be the church in this moment. Help us to be bold in this moment. Help us to uh, stand in the forefront of this moment. Help us to do the right thing in this moment, Lord. And also pray for uh, black pastors, Lord, that uh, those those of us that may not be um, engaged in this work, Lord, that we would still, uh, through our platforms, talk about justice and our platforms lift up who you are and what you expect of us, Lord, and that we will not fret in this moment. We not, we will not stand on the sidelines, but we will all do the work together. Uh, redemption, Lord, the work of restorative justice, the work of reconciliation, Lord, but most of all, that we would um, lead a movement of repentance where people in this nation will recognize the wrong that has been done and turn away from the systems of oppression that continue, that we can reimagine how, how the world should be yes, and can work towards that. So, Lord, help us all in this moment, Lord. We ask that you would move even in the leadership, Lord, that there would be empathy within the leadership, Lord. And if empathy cannot be had within the leadership we have in this moment, we ask, Lord, that you would make the changes that need to be made in leadership so we can have leadership that's empathetic, that's effective, that cares about people more than themselves, and that is focused on justice as well. So, Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the cipher. We thank you for this opportunity to discuss these issues and ask, Lord, that the words that we said and, and the, the conversations that we've had, that it will fall on good ground yes. and bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good stuff, brother. Right, brother. Oh man, I can't, I can't. There's so much, there's so much in this, man. I can't wait to have another conversation. Oh, yeah, we need to set it up, have it right away. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Oh, man. All right, man. Love you, brother. (laughs) I love you too, my man. Love you too. All right. All right, bro.